uh, but I want to give you a recap. Uh, first of all, remember that the rapture can happen at any moment as a sign of this timeless event, and like the second coming of Christ, which there are many prophecies that will be fulfilled during the Great Tribulation itself. Uh, after, immediately after the rapture of the church, uh, we're going to have the Ezekiel 38 and 39 battle uh, that, that follows the rapture of the church and just before the Great Tribulation starts. Uh, so the, at, the, at, the, at that point, the Antichrist uh, rises up and he signs his treaty with Israel for seven years and uh, he breaks it after three and a half years, as you know, and the Great Tribulation commences for the next three and a half years. At the end of which we have the Battle of Armageddon and Christ returns glory. Amen. And that, uh, so Christ comes back at the end of the Battle of Armageddon and uh, the Antichrist is defeated and Satan is bound for a thousand years. Christ sets up his magnificent millennial kingdom. Uh, we have the millennial reign and the great white permanent judgment that follows and then a new heaven and a new earth and eternity from there on. Last week we looked at the, the, the judgment of the thirds, if you remember. And we saw that a third of the earth was basically destroyed. The seas, the land, uh, the waters, the rivers were all destroyed. The sun, the moon, and the stars did not give their light. Uh, and this was a, a judgment affecting nearly a third of the world. Remember, all, all the green grass is gone, a third of the trees. New Zealand is going to look like a very different place in the tribulation. It's going to look barren like Africa. No green grass, hardly any trees. The, the, the beaches are going to be uh, swamped with rotting fish and decaying uh, sea life. Porpoises and sharks and all the, all the rest of them are going to be washing out because a third of the sea life dies. Uh, so it's going to be an absolutely terrible time. This affects one third of the world. In other words, two thirds are safe at this stage. God is still concerned about the harvest. And that's why he doesn't block out everybody's pot watching. He, he says, I want the harvest. And so he, he reads out some of the most uh, defiant and rebellious of, of, of people and a third of the world they found. God is fearing now more than he's judging. It's an act of his mercy. Remember, folks, the tribulation is not about punishment. God is trying to woo the hearts of man. If, if, if we didn't respond to the carrot, the love of God, the, the mercy and the grace of God, uh, I, I was one of those who were scared into the kingdom of God. I didn't want to go to hell. I didn't want to go through the tribulation. Now, that's why I got saved. Um, it may not be everybody's experience, but you see, some people get saved because of the love message, and that's an important message. Others get saved because they are afraid of the judgment that's about to come. And this is very much the case that we see here, that God is fearing now two-thirds of the world. It's an act of His mercy. But the tribulation is primarily about repentance. God is trying to get the most stubborn, most resistant uh, people to repent and come to the Lord. And so that's why it's happening. We saw that a third of the world was destroyed. That sounds very much like a nuclear war. And uh, we, we looked at the devastation of, of uh, the, the possibility of nuclear war. We looked at one submarine, how, how that could really... Uh, trigger a, a worldwide catastrophe beyond description. Um, but could this be a supernatural judgment of God? Yes, absolutely. It could, it could be the fact that God uh, judges, uh, like in the days of old in, in, in Egypt, that could be a supernatural judgment. Or it could be the fact that God just with, uh, withdraws his hand from mankind and, and stops restraining them from using nuclear weapons. And as a result, a third of the world is burned. We looked at 
that scripture in Zechariah 14.12 is so descriptive and so amazing. Um, it's, it's worth reading again. Zechariah 14.12 But this is what will happen to all who fought against Jerusalem. God will visit them with a terrible plague. People's flesh will rot off their bones while they are walking around. Their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues in their mouth. People will be dying on their feet. And if you remember, we looked at the, the shadows of, of those that were walking um, in Hiroshima when the bomb was hit. So up until this point, we had four angels blow their trumpets. We're looking at the trumpet judgments, and you've got these cataclysmic de devastation, signs in the heavens above and on the earth below. And it, and it closes off by saying that there, there are three woes yet to come. Still, worse is coming uh, upon the earth. It's a terrible, terrible time. So, basically, what's happening at this point in, in, in the book of Revelation is now we're entering into uh, the second half of the tribulation. It's been unbelievably bad in, in the beginning, but believe it or not, it gets even worse from this point on. And so we're entering the second half of the tribulation. Uh, again, let me say that the church is not going through the tribulation. Can I have an amen? amen. <laughs> so uh, we are not going to uh, experience God's wrath, but God has appointed us as watchmen. And we saw how God spoke to Ezekiel in Ezekiel 33, and he spoke to us and said uh, that, that when God was going to bring a plague on the land, that the people would have come to watch him. And if that watchman blew the trumpet and warned the people, then, then he would be safe. The people would be safe because they could respond. But if the, 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 the threat came and the, the watchman failed to alert folks, failed to blow the trumpet, and those people died, even if one of them died, God said that man will be lost because of his sin, but as a result of, of, of the watchman not warning people, God was going to hold the watchman accountable for their blood, uh, for his blood. And so, we, and we saw it in, in Ezekiel 33 and verse 6. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people, and the sword comes and takes away the life of one of them, the man that will be taken away because of his sin, but I will hold the watchman we know that God is bringing a sword against the world. We know that the tribulation is coming. And it's really important for us, uh, because we know that the destruction and devastation is coming, that we've got to warn people. We are not going through the tribulation, but we don't want to be held accountable because we have not spoken up and, and told people about the Lord when we should have. And let me be the first to say, I have done that. And there were times when I should have spoken up, uh, and, and I didn't, and I'm sure that you have experienced a similar experience. There is grace and there is mercy for the, for the repentant. We must recognize our responsibility is to warn people of the things that are coming. Can I have an amen? amen? So, you know, God is willing to overlook our shortcomings, but we cannot just ignore the message of the gospel and say, well, you know, that's just not me. I'm just not an evangelist. God expects every single Christian to be a watchman. Every single Christian to tell somebody about the Lord. Uh, we don't need to be right now bonky gathering in hundreds of thousands of people, but we can gather in the one. You know, this, this church has been going for 10 years, and uh, we, we haven't gathered in one person into our fellowship. Not one person has been brought in. As a, I'm not saying that you haven't witnessed to, to other folks that have ended up in other churches or whatever, but it, it just it becomes very important that we 
we do this. And we see that as our prime directive uh, that we tell people how to get saved. God is merciful. When we blow it, there's forgiveness and there's hope. God is forgive us our sins. But he also gives us hope. And he gives us strength. And he says, I will give you the ability to speak if you ask me. And, and if you ask me for opportunities, I will help you. And so there is encouragement and there's strength from the Lord for us to do our duty. Because our prime directive is to tell people how to get saved. Our responsibility is to know the plan of salvation and to share the plan of salvation with everyone. And everyone say, Amen. Amen. So if you don't know the plan of salvation, learn it today. We saw how Jesus described as we're entering into the second half of the tribulation. We see this incredible scenario taking place. The first half of the tribulation, Jesus described as the beginning of sorrows. Can you imagine the scenario that I have just described to you where the earth would be, where the earth would be destroyed as the beginning of sorrows? And the second half of the tribulation is known. Jesus called it the great tribulation. Again, in the words of the Master, Matthew 24 and verse 21, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world, to this time. No, nor shall ever be. This is going to be the greatest, most devastating the, the destruction that the world has ever seen. I, I'm, I'm a great historian, and I, I love history, and I, I, the, the Second World War in particular uh, is... is fascinates me. And when I see the destruction where entire cities have just been leveled, there's nothing left. Uh, it, 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 you know, the Bible says that's going to pale into insignificance. Uh, when you see the people uh, uh, trying to exit from, from the, the places of war, and you massive caravans uh, moving down the road, it's going to pale into insignificance according to the incomes. Again, Jesus said, men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Okay. That really brings us to, to chapter 9, okay, that's, that we we're going to pick up this week. And uh, Dr. McGee says, uh, this is one of the most complicated uh, portions of Scripture to interpret, and there are some very weird and wonderful uh, interpretations on that. We're going to look at, we're going to look at some of them, um, but, but, and I'm going to share with you what, what I believe that this passage of Scripture is actually talking about. So, Revelation chapter 9. You ready? No one's ready. Verse 1. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen. All you English teachers, Dysbo, Tab, Ecclesia, will tell you straight away, they would have picked up on that. A star that had fallen is past tense. So, uh, it's very interesting to note that. So he says, verse 1, The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I star, saw a star that had fallen from the sky to earth. This star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. And when he opened the abyss, that's the Greek word, abusos, and it's very, kind of important. We'll look at it in a second. So far in the book of Revelation, we've seen two stars fall from, from heaven. <coughs> they were literal stars. Uh, this star is different. Because this star is given the personal pronoun, he. And he was given the key to the bottomless pit, to the, to the abyss. And so there are two things to identify here, and uh, we, we need to have a look at them. First of all, who is the star? And secondly, what's this about the bottomless pit? So uh, John is using the term star as a metaphor, as a, as a kind of um, 
in a shadow or a type of, of some kind. So we try to identify the person. In the same way, we'd say that Paul McCartney is a star. Anyone say? Yes, I am. What am I going to do with him? <laughs> Hallelujah. Yes, he, he, a star is somebody who's simply <coughs> significant, somebody of outstanding ability. So the text says, I saw a star that had fallen. Again, notice the past tense, indicating that the event has already taken place. So we're looking for somebody in the past. A singular, significant person that has fallen to earth. I'm sure your mind is racing and you've already guessed that this is Satan. Okay? This is the devil himself. And we can read about it in Isaiah chapter uh, 14 and verse 12. He was given the name morning star or something, wasn't he? Absolutely. That's the scripture we're going to read right now. It says, Isaiah 14 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, the King James says. The NIV says, how you have fallen from heaven, O morning star. And so we have this, this uh, synchronizing of the names uh, morning star with Lucifer. Uh, so it really identifies that this star is Lucifer. The sun of the dawn carries on in, in, in the last part of the verse. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. So we see that Satan is the one that's identified uh, as the, the trumpet is sounded. And he is given the key to the bottomless pit, uh, or the abyss. That's the Greek word abusos. And uh, it only appears one other time in all of the New Testament. Uh, and, and the abusos appears in, in, in the story that Jesus is telling about the, the demoniac. Remember the man who had a legion of demons, who, who went, the demons went into the pigs and drowned themselves? Okay. And uh, when, when Jesus cast them out, uh, they, the demons actually begged Christ, that they would not be sent into the deep. That's the, the Greek word abusos. The only other time that it actually appeared. The, the demons are terrified of this place, the abusos, the, the deep. And they, they, I want to draw a couple of obvious conclusions right here. Uh, first of all, Jesus is in charge. The demons are begging Christ not to send them into the deep. Because the demons know who Jesus Christ is, that he is God Almighty. Folks, there are those that are telling us that the, that the church uh, made, made Christ God some 300 years later. It's not true. <coughs> Do you remember that when, when uh, the scripture, after Jesus was crucified, doubting Thomas uh, came and saw Jesus and fell at his knees and said what? My Lord, <coughs> my God. And so right here at the resurrection, we see that the church is deifying Christ because he rose from the dead. It's not a construct of the church, um, uh, Dan Brown and all the rest of those guys. Come on. The, the scriptures make quite clear that Christ is God Almighty. And the demons here recognize Jesus as Almighty God and they beg him not to send them into the deep. The second obvious deduction is that the deep is a terrible place where demons are bound. Jude may have given us an insight into this place, uh, and in, in his epistle of Jude, we read this, and I'm going to read it from the Message Bible, because it actually uh, has quite nice wording. You know the story of the angels, fallen angels, who didn't stick to their post, abandoning it for other darker missions, but they are now chained and jailed in a black hole until the great judgment day. 
And so this, this place, the Abusos, uh, is a, a place of absolute torment and terror for the demons. Now, let's go back to our, our text in Revelation 9. We look at and verses 2 through 6. And it describes what the devil does when he's loosed and, uh, and he comes to earth. He opens, verse 2, he opened the abyss and smoke rose from it, like the smoke of a gigantic furnace. The sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke of the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down to the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass or the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God upon their foreheads. In other words, they can't touch the 144,000, amen? They're sealed by God. And possibly those who've got the tribulation saints, those who've got saved during the tribulation, have God's mark on them. They are saved. But woe to the rest of the world who would be unsaved because they are in big trouble here. Verse 5 says, They, and it's referring to the scorpion locusts, uh, were not given power to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like a, the sting of a scorpion when it strikes a man. You know, I, I was in the army one day, and, and we, there was one, we had a particularly big guy. He was, he was our Goliath. And, uh, you know, he put on his boot the one day, and but he forgot to shake it out. They always teach you in basic training, you shake your boot out first, and turn it upside down to make sure that the scorpions are out. Well, Goliath forgot, and he put his foot in, and the scorpion was still inside there, and zapped him, not once, nor twice, it zapped him until he could get the blooming boot off his foot. And it, <laughs> it was huge. And he was in such pain, he was limping, he was, he was really telling us how terrible, don't get stung, guys, make sure you empty your boots, because the sting of a scorpion was so terrible. Verse 6, during those days man will seek death, but they will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts inflict this thing that's so terrible, it's so, so painful that these men will long to die, but they're not permitted to do so. As we go through verses 10 through 15, the next chunk of scripture that we're going to look at, there are three principal things that we're going to examine, and I, I want you to uh, just look out for them. First of all, we're going to look at the description of the locusts, then we're going to look at their king, and then we're going to look at their number uh, that, that is described. And so I want you to pay particular attention to the way that these uh, locusts look. Um, okay, verse 7. Um, and, and first of all, let, let me just say, one of the principles of interpreting the book of Revelation is the literal approach. We, we always look for a literal explanation of what's going on. But there are times when a literal approach is, has been highlighted that it, it is obviously not a literal approach. And this is, passage is exactly one of those passages. And so as we look at the description of the locusts, and some people think that um, this is going to represent uh, the, the Chinese army, um, I want you to, to see the description and see the, the symbolic language that's used. And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared for battle. And their heads were, as it were, crowned like gold. And their faces as were as the faces of men. You see, it's not saying that these are the actual description. It's likening it. 
it, they, they're drawing a comparison. And so a literal interpretation of this passage is not required here. And the Bible is making that basically obvious. Verse 8. And they had as hair uh, the, the hair of woman, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions. That'd be a pretty weird-looking guy. <laughs> and the, they had breastplates as it were the breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was the sound of chariots and many horses running to battle. Some people have suggested that this may be uh, a helicopter um, this, uh, because it's iron and, and uh, the, the, the tremendous noise uh, from their wings is obviously flying. And so it's, they think it's a possibly a first century man trying to describe 21st century technology and he's really struggling for language. Um, We'll, we'll say a bit more about that as we go on. And verse 10 says, They had tails like unto scorpions, and they, they had the stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men for five months. I remember when, when, I, when I was in seminary, um, I, I went to a music store, and Ozzy Osbourne, you, you, you guys don't know who Ozzy Osbourne is, I'm sure none of you rebels would ever know who he is. He was a really uh, out there rocker. But Ozzy Osbourne actually had a, a, a record cover of the, the picture uh, uh, um, that is described here in these verses of, of this man, uh, this being with, with the teeth of lion, the woman's head, all the rest of it. Wow, that's freaky, man. Uh, but anyway, that, that, that was a very weird-looking picture, but then Ozzy pretty weird himself. Okay, so that's the description of the locusts, rather weird. Okay, secondly, their king, verse 11, and they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, and in the Greek tongue he hath the name Apollyon. One woe is past, and behold, there come two woes more hereafter. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard the voice from the four horns of the golden altar which is before God, saying, to the sixth angel which had the trumpet. Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day, in a month and a year, to slay a third part of men. That's the description of their king. Now the number, verse 15. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day in the month and a year to slay a third part of men. Verse 16, And the number of the army of horsemen were 200,000 thousand. And I heard the number of them. 200,000 thousand is 200 million. Now again, let me just, as we break that down and go, go through it, uh, let's look at those records. Again, it's very clear that they looked like this is all symbolic language and, and really underlines the fact that a literal interpretation is not intended. These locusts uh, are, are not natural. They avoid plants and they attack men. Okay, so that, that should give us a clue. And many explanations have been given as to what they are. Some see, as I said, helicopters. Others have suggested that they are mutated bugs that have survived uh, from the nuclear uh, holocaust and uh, they, they've mutated into these terrible things. I think the context of these flying scorpions, uh, locusts, if you prefer, is, is a picture of a demonic horde. And I think that that's going to become very plain as we go through and, and have a look at the underlying logic behind it. But I, I, 
I, I looked at, at Dr. Mark Hitchcock, and he had some very interesting things to say about this apocalyptic army. He said there are basically two main views of the apocalyptic army. One says that it's a human army, possibly out of China, um, and that, that, that's very interesting in a second. The other view is that it's a demonic horde. Uh, he says both views are possible, uh, and there are good arguments on both sides. So I'm not stating categorically that, that, that we've, we've nailed this down because there are good arguments on both sides. It could be a human army or it could be a demonic force. I favor the latter. Because if it, if, if it is a Chinese army, do you remember the description that I asked you to remember? That would be one weird-looking person. You would, have, you would struggle to find one person that looked like the person described here, let alone 200 million of them. You know? So... Um, you know, Dr. Frickenbaum says the description of this army clearly rules out that they are that, that they are human and requires that they be a demonic army. And I, I favor that kind of logic. Secondly, the, the, these scorpions, uh, uh, locusts, have a, a king over them. Verse 11. And they had a king over them, the angel of the abyss, whose name in the Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon. For starters, in the natural world, if you, if, if you watch David Attenborough, he'll, he'll tell you that, that locusts don't have a king. They're, they're not like bees who have a queen that rules the hive. Locusts don't have anybody that rules over them. And in fact, the scriptures actually uh, uh, foreshadow that. In Proverbs 30 and verse 27, it says, Locusts have no king. And so again, I think that this is further evidence that this is possibly a, a demonic horde because locusts have no king yet they advance together in race so these are not natural locusts they don't prey on, on the grass or, or bushes they prey on men they must be something else because they have a king and the, the, and the king over them is called Abaddon and in Greek Apollyon now I want to take a parenthesis just, just to explain remember when Jesus was explaining to his disciples about the, the demonic world and the power and the authority that we have as believers. Remember in, 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 in Luke uh, 10, 19, uh, Jesus said, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Do you remember that? So we, we, we see that Jesus actually identified the serpent and scorpions as being part of the demonic realm. And the serpent we know from Revelation 20 is a, a picture of the devil himself. And so the scorpions or locusts that we, we uh, these weird locusts that are the half scorpion, half locust, uh, are possibly uh, again uh, under, uh, underlined by the fact that they are part of the demonic uh, realm of creation. Jesus points out the old serpent is the devil, and so by extension, the scorpion. Uh, the demonic power. So, the scorpions represent the demonic forces. Let's look at the leader. The leader of these hellish locusts or scorpions, these demonic forces, are underlined by the name of their leader. We're going to look at the name of the leader, and it gives a very clear view. And this is one of the major reasons why I favor this particular interpretation. The name of the leader in, in, in Hebrew is a bad one. And in Greek, Apollyon. And Abaddon actually means the destroying angel. And I'm sure you can guess who the destroying angel is. 
Uh, in Greek, he's the destroyer. Do you remember when Jesus was explaining about the devil in John uh, chapter 10 and verse 10? He says, the thief, which is a reference to the devil, the thief comes not but to, to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And so we, we have a very clear uh, uh, identification of, of who the leader of these uh, scorpions are. It's the very devil himself. If not the devil, it's one of the devil's leading henchmen uh, that's overseeing these um, scorpions uh, come locusts or locusts come scorpions, whichever way around you want to put that. And they attack and torment for five months. This is an indirect judgment of God and it reveals the traitorous nature of the devil that he's willing to turn on his own and attack them. But verse 20 shows the, 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 the reason um, that, that God is doing this. He's trying to bring the most stubborn and rebellious to repentance. Aren't you glad that God doesn't give up on even the most evil, most vile and most wicked? Because I was one of the chiefest of sinners. I, I inherited that title from Paul. And so, you know, but God didn't give up on me. And he's not giving up on these terrible people in the tribulation. God is still trying to, to win them over. In verse 20, we'll, we'll see that in a the leader of these locusts, the devil himself, further enhances the argument that these locusts are really demons. Let's look at the number. The number, 200 million. It has been estimated that the, the, the entire population of the world in John's day would have been about 200 million people. By contrast, uh, we all know about the Roman army that conquered the then known world. Uh, but what maybe is not so well known as historians tell us that the, that the Roman army consisted of 25 legions, which is approximately 125,000 soldiers. And they had an auxiliary army of about the same size. Uh, so about 200,000 soldiers. The, this scripture says, by contrast, uh, is a thousand times bigger than the Roman army. If it is a human army, and there are good arguments which we, we're not going to go into, otherwise it'd just be too much time. But if it is a human army, this has only been possible in the last few decades. As populations have grown and expanded, uh, we, we've seen uh, nations like China and India being able to raise an army of this size. It has never been possible in, in the human race ever to raise an army of 200 million before. In all of history, uh, it, it's never been possible. You know, the Second World War, by contrast, uh, when you consider all the combatants from both sides of the army, uh, uh, both sides of the world, uh, they, they never numbered more than 50 million people on both sides of World War II when you add them together. And so this number of 200 million is a phenomenally big army, and it just has never been possible in human history. Uh, but if an army of Atsaras were to be gathered, uh, it would be natural to conclude that it would come from China or India, one of the great population centers of the world today. It's interesting to note that China alone claims to have an army of 200 million men ready for combat. Of, of a military service age. Precisely the number mentioned by the Bible in Revelation. China. China. Uh, India could also raise an army of that. I think the population of India is 
3 billion while China's at 1.4 billion. There's very little in it. It could either be either of those uh, two, uh, but possibly China. But China alone claims to have an army of that size. The Indian population isn't that, that big. And it was Napoleon Bonaparte who actually said this, that China is a sleeping giant. God pity the generation that wakes her up. How many know that China's <laughs> actually waking up now? Okay. China's becoming a, a, a military and economic powerhouse in the world. It's competing to become the world's greatest economy. Uh, and, and it would have been by now had Donald Trump not come in and put the brakes on the Chinese economy and slapping uh, uh, tariffs on and, and renegotiating trade deals. Uh, but you know, at the beginning of this year, do you remember your news? If you, you, if you remember the news, you will remember that Xi Jinping, the, the leader of the Chinese Communist Party, issued his first order in January of this year to the military high command. Do you remember what it was? He said to prepare, that the, all the military must prepare for war, prepare for battle. And uh, you, can, you can look that up online, and there's still newspaper articles that will cover that. Um, it's quite, and an, an, he said, all the armed forces, and I'm quoting here, must be ready for a comprehensive military struggle. Do you know, in the year 2000, uh, China's military spending was uh, 20 billion, 20,000 million dollars uh, on military expenditure. That has skyrocketed since 2000 to today. Today, China is spending $220 billion on the military and has an army of 200 million people. If and this... Sorry, from when, on, from when did they go to $220 million? Uh, uh, just in the last decade, they've, they've, ex they've increased military spending exponentially from 20 to 220 so if this isn't a human army, and it's possible, um, the stage is set. The time-wise, it could happen. They, they're claiming to have this army already. It could happen any day now. If that is the case, how close are we to the rapture if Christ, uh, if this happened uh, basically at the end of the tribulation, seven years at the end of the tribulation, how close are we now to the rapture? It's worth considering. Because if it is a human army, China is poised and ready to go and pouring billions of dollars into her military. But I think this description of this horde uh, would indicate that it, it's demonic rather than human. So Revelation 9 really points a picture immediately for the, the, the end, where the wicked are subjected to an unprecedented time of a demonic torture. And uh, uh, exactly how this will play out, history will tell us. Um, we, we don't really know, but history will reveal it. Revelation 9, 12 through 16. The first woe is past. Two other woes are yet to come. Whew, this is a lot of heavy news, isn't this? So, verse 13. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the horns of the golden altar that is before God. Perhaps... This is because so many people have rejected the message of the altar, the blood of Christ, the shed blood of Christ. They've rejected the offer of forgiveness. The blood uh, cries out now, and we hear from the altar um, that, that it's crying out for judgment. Do you remember in, in the book of Hebrews, when it's speaking about judgment, in, in Hebrews 10, 
28 and 29, we read these words, that words. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? That's what you do effectively when you reject Jesus Christ from being your Lord and Savior. You insult the Spirit of grace because God is coming to you and offering you a free pardon and you turn around and say, I don't want it. I'm not interested. You insult the spirit of faith. So, the blood that once offered mercy, forgiveness, and atonement in the age of grace in which we're living in, in the tribulation period, now cries out for judgment and justice. So, there's going to be a reckoning during the tribulation. So, once you rejected uh, the, the offer of salvation in the, tri the tribulation, your blood is now required of you for justice and justice. The rejection of God's word always brings judgment. Can I have an amen? Mm -hmm. Verses 9 at 14 through 16 of chapter 9. It says that the sixth angel who had the trumpet releases the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had kept him uh, kept ready for this very hour, day, and month and year were released to kill third of mankind. It's almost like you know, God has been patiently waiting even with the most um, rebellious and stubborn people. And now God's patience is beginning to run out. And these angels are released. And they're there to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was 200 million. I heard their number. Let's just break this down a little bit. These are the fallen angels. The evil and corrupt angels. That's why they are bound at the great river Euphrates, because of the enormity of their sins. They are released to commit murder and mayhem on an unprecedented scale. Uh, it's absolutely uh, horrific. The tide of chaos and destruction that these uh, angels uh, emit, killing one-third of mankind. That's two billion people at today's numbers are going to be slaughtered. Why are they bound at the Euphrates River? Well, if you look at scripture, this is a very significant piece of territory in, in, in the uh, annals of Christendom. <coughs> First of all, uh, the, the Garden of Eden was in this particular uh, section that we're talking about here. The original sin began here. The first murder was committed here. The first war was fought here. The Tower of Babel was erected here, which is man's first rebellion against God. It began here. Dr. McGee says, uh, in this area is where the Israelites were, were taken in the Babylonian captivity, because Babylon was the, the center of idolatry. And the final surge of sin comes here, and God wants to put it down right here during the Great Tribulation period. So it's a very significant piece of territory. Verse 15, I want you to notice this. And the four angels who'd been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. This is Christ's timetable, folks. Christ is now releasing this army to the very day and very hour. It's, it's all been planned out. And God knows exactly when 
this army is going to march down to the very hour. God is describing this and Jesus in control of everything. As we come to verses 17 through 19, as we, we begin to wrap up this, this chapter, um, we see a description of possibly a human army. I'm not going to take the time to, to read those verses. I'm going to skip down and just, you can read them later. But if this is a human army, as some uh, suppose, uh, it's possibly a, a picture of a modern, highly mechanized, mobile army as seen through the eyes of first century men who'd be struggling for terminology to describe what he'd said. Or, this could be a demonic cavalry unleashed in the end times. It will usher in one of the greatest uh, catastrophes in human history, the death of two billion people. We've already seen this spiritual cavalry before in the scriptures. Uh, do you remember when uh, uh, Elisha was caught up into heaven and he dropped his... There was a, a chariot and, and horse uh, that, that took him to glory. Again, we see that in, in the time of uh, Elisha, uh, when he was protected at Dothan by, by the fiery uh, chariots of fire that were upon the mountains, the horses and the chariots of fire upon the mountains. And so we've seen this, uh, these uh, demonic cavalries, uh, these cavalries before in the spirit. So, I agree with Dr. Hitchcock that this description best fits a demonic call rather than a human army. And I want to close with the last two verses in Revelation 23-21. The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. Can you imagine they did not stop worshipping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood. Idols they cannot see, hear or walk. They did not repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality and their thefts. I want you to think with me going back a generation or two uh, to what the world was like in the It was a long time of, of peace and prosperity of refined sensibilities, of moral standards, of ethical and spiritual behavior. Codes of conduct had grown out of the Reformation going back hundreds of years. In short, during the, 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 the Victorian era, we had a, a, a civilized society, a God-fearing society. The world today is doing its very best to tear that down today. And there's very little that remains. Uh, they, they're tearing the... the, the God-centered society down in favor of a progressive agenda. In my opinion, this is just a, a, a the progressive agenda. It's just a euphemism for a, a, you know a, a more evil and more corrupt, debauched society. I want you to draw your attention. Look at what Revelation is saying about the end times, and see if you can uh, identify with what's going on in these end times. Remember, this is really at the end of the end times, and let's see what it says. People are unrepentant. They're demon worshippers. It wasn't so long ago that we saw uh, that uh, you saw those guys driving around here uh, with uh, the, 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 the satanic putting on their, their car. Um, so we, we have people that are unrepentant, demon worshippers, idol worshippers, murderers, fornicators, adulterers, thieves, drug addicts, and drug pushers. And I hear you say, "Hey, where do you get drug addicts and drug pushers out of there?" Well, it's not on the list. No, it's not. But you have to understand the original language because 
Uh, in in, in uh, the, the King James, it talks about uh, sorceries, and in, and in, the, in uh, the NIV, it talks about magic arts. But in both cases, it comes from the root word pharmakia. And pharmakia is where we get our English word pharmacy from, which is a place where we get drugs. And so uh, it, it becomes really interesting. Drugs play a very prominent role in the end time scenario because there are no more moral restraints. The sexual revolution that started in the 1960s continues today through the LGBTQ uh, uh, organizations. We've had a drug revolution. What started out as the war on drugs? How many remember the war on drugs? What is that? What's happened to the war on drugs? We're now going to legalize them. We've capitulated totally, and we're talking about legalization. We're banning smoking, but we're legalizing pot. You just can't figure the logic of these people. I really despair. But you know, I want to talk about this increase in the end times of drugs. You know, fentanyl is just one drug. Uh, that, that, that is growing in enormous popularity. Do you know in the last uh, two or three years, fentanyl use has increased by a whopping thousand percent. That's just one drug and it's just exploding. People are uh, absolutely addicted uh, to fentanyl and this is just the tip of the iceberg of the drug situation. I want to contrast this with the, uh, the war in Vietnam. Did you know that America lost 58 thousand soldiers in the Vietnam War over a 10-year period. So in a decade, America lost 58,000 soldiers in the Vietnam War. Do you know the Department um, of the CDC in America, the, the Center of Disease Control, uh, has statistics on all this. And uh, according to the statistics, 2017 statistics, this is what the CDC, America's official uh, uh, policy states. Drug overdoses killed more than you ready for this? Seventy two million uh, sorry, seventy two thousand people last year. That's ten times uh, what what is the people that were killed in the Vietnam War. Drugs are killing ten times more people each year than the war in Vietnam. We're seeing this explosion of, of, of drugs in the world today. Today we are living in a post-Christian society. We have an explosion of pornography, of prostitution, and of perversion. The drug culture is sweeping around the world, and we are having an unprecedented meteoric rise in violent crimes. Society is deliberately broken down, sinners reigning, and the Church of Satan put up a statue, stroke idol, last Christmas in Illinois. Yeah. The exact same conditions described here in Revelation 9.20. You're having the, the worship of idols, the worship of Satan. You're having the drug explosion, the sexual revolution. Everything that Revelation 9.20 <coughs> is privileged and expanding at a phenomenal rate in our society. The question I, I, I ask and I close is how long can we be before the Lord church if all these things are being evidenced in society? I had some word of prayer.